Welcome to another episode of Beyond Risk and Back. Thank you for listening, liking, subscribing, sharing, leaving a review, all that great stuff for this podcast designed for you to help you help your kids. I know it's it's a struggle. I know what you got going on. I know why you're listening to the show. We have a very niche audience. We have a very uh, a special audience who's going through things that only about 25% of the population is is dealing with. The rest are hearing about it on the news or hearing about it at school, and you're actually the parent who's going through it. So thank you for being here. Uh, you you doing this work, you listening to this episode, you tells me all everything I need to know about you is that you're just looking for more tools. And tools are the name of the game today. I have Gemma Bailey with me. I met Gemma over on Podmatch. Again, not sponsored by nor uh, 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 look podmatch is amazing and Gemma and i connected through the algorithm and it it is based on our criteria of me looking for parenting experts Gemma teaches parents and her background her own life the things she's had to deal with in her own life has just really really put her in a place to understand what parents are going through and how to help them um her list of what she's doing, she's she's the director uh, uh, of People Building, which is a, a personal and professional developing company specializing in NLP training, hypnosis, and coaching. She's the creator and franchiser of NLP for Kids, a company that teaches practitioners how to help children, families, and schools work with kids with mental health issues. And she owns a street therapy company uh, called the Hypnotherapy and NLP Clinic. And now that you've heard me say the words NLP a few times, we're going to have Gemma teach us some NLP, the tools of NLP, Neural Linguistic Programming. She's a, an international speaker, an author, a YouTuber, and a director for a nonprofit organization called Superheroes. I'm so excited to have Gemma with us. Gemma, thanks for being on the show. Welcome from the UK to America. Thank you so much for having me, Aaron. Awesome to be here. What a wonderful list of credentials you have going on so let's back it up go all the way back to the dinosaurs and talk about what happened in yeah. your life that ended oh, you up doing you. this work yeah <laughs> How, what are you what are you doing here is the question i know right um so if i go way 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 back um i am the child of parents who got divorced um, I have a sister who has special needs, so severe learning difficulties and epilepsy. And yeah, my parents divorced when I was maybe about five years old, so quite young. Um, and my sister was actually taken into state care. So I grew up in some relatively turbulent circumstances. My dad was a binge drinker. Um, so alcohol was his first love, I think. Indian food was his second love and family maybe crept in kind of third or fourth on the list. Hey, you made the top five, Gemma. All right. <laughs> I made the top five. Though. Uh, um, so yeah, it was, uh, it was a bumpy upbringing and I, in my weekends would spend those with dad in the pub um, and the pub that we went to, they built like a side room on there. Because the the children, like me, would always complain that we were, you know, back in those days, you're allowed to smoke indoors. So they're all smoking their cigarettes and drinking their beer. And I kept complaining that 
the smoke was stinging my eyes. So they built this function room onto the side of the pub and I kind of took over that and started bringing the other kids in there to play. And probably by about the age of mm, nine or 10, I had like a little gang that I'd got coloring books for, crayons for. I'd convinced the landlord of the pub that he needed to invest in resources for me and these other children to kind of stay out the way whilst our parents were out there drinking. And I think that that was when I realized I was going to end up working with children in some way, shape or form. So I left school. I went to college and I trained in something called nursery nursing, which is a bit like being a kindergarten teacher. So it's not like um, school teaching and started in that career really with the idea that in some small way I was going to be making a difference in the world. You know, I, I felt that by working with our future leaders and, you know, the next generation, I was going to be changing the world in some way. The reality is I was changing a lot of diapers. Uh, so it didn't quite pan out in the way that I might have hoped it would do. <laughs> And I quickly worked my way up to nursery management and I also did some nannying and community work and so on. But, you know, what I discovered about myself and actually some of the parents listening now, maybe this is something that your children will discover about themselves or something you've even discovered in them yourselves already, is that I would get bored fast and I thought that there was something wrong with me. I thought there was something wrong with how I was learning and experiencing the world because six months into a job, I wanted to leave. And what was happening is that I was in an environment, you know, when you work with children, routine is super important. You want to be providing routine and consistency. And I was working with young children, so it was even more important. But for me, for my brain, as soon as I had the routine down, I was bored. And what would start to happen is I would start creating trouble in other areas of my life because it was almost like having these little dramas going on was keeping me alert and awake and, you know, problem solving, even though they weren't good quality problems, you know, but at some level, my brain was kind of seeking problems to solve. So I was making the problems for myself. And I knew that I did not want to do that job for the next 40 years of my working life. And I had most enjoyed the aspects of the work where there were children with behavioral issues, you know, maybe anger management problems. Maybe they weren't mixing well with other children. There were, you know, I was in a day nursery setting. So there were children that were separating from their parent for the first time and would have huge amounts of separation anxiety and complete meltdowns. And I became the person that was really good at dealing with those problems. And I felt that there was something in the psychology that I was working on then. And I really wanted to get into psychology in some way, but dropping the job completely and going off and doing full-time university was just not going to be feasible. So I ended up exploring the alternative world instead. And that was how I came across initially hypnotherapy and then later NLP. 
So for those of you who have never heard of NLP, it stands for Neuro Linguistic Programming, which really doesn't help explain that what it is at all. Yeah, great. <laughs> okay, now I know what it says. And <laughs> so the neuro part relates to your brain. Um, and your thought processes. The linguistic part is obviously language. So not just the language that you use when you communicate in the outside world to other people, but also the language you have inside your head when you talk to yourself on the inside. The programming part relates to your habits and specific patterns of behavior that you might follow. So these days, uh, certainly over here in the UK, quite possibly in the States, people are, are quite familiar with um, a therapy called CBT, Cognitive Behaviour Therapy. Very much. It's, we call that one of the alphabet therapies. And yeah. every facility, every adolescent who comes through yeah, a program is asked to do CBT, CBT or DBT, yeah. which, okay. which is the offshoot. But CBT was yes, the first yes. big popular one. Yeah. So there's definitely some parallels between CBT and NLP. The difference that I say to people is, and I've done some training in CBT. So this is, you know, kind of based on my experience and opinion with CBT. It's really about taking control of your thoughts so that you have better control over your emotions. Right. Um, within NLP, we've got some strategies that do that, but we also work the other way. Some of what we do is working with the raw emotion to change the way you think. So it goes in the other direction as well. Um, NLP is made up of lots of different techniques, strategies, and some of it are just kind of principles for how you think. Um, and so sometimes we might be working with someone who wants to work on things like communication skills. Sometimes it could be habits and phobias. A lot of what we do is really teaching people how to identify and intercept negative thought processes and to be able to change those into more helpful ones. And you'll notice that I said more helpful rather than more positive because right. I've got some certain beliefs around positive thinking. Um, and uh, some of what we do is, you know, helping people to change their emotions real super quick. So let's 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 talk about that one, because that's the trigger that I think that when, when people do know about NLP, when they've heard about NLP, it's about the emotional state changes that it's used yes. often. It's used a lot in seminars. It's used a lot in yeah. marketing. It's used a lot in covert persuasion. It yes. is used a lot in commercials. Now, mm -hmm. a lot of people know some of the the outside or the basic things, which are which are standard therapeutic practice, mirroring, mm -hmm. mirroring, yes. then leading. Eating, right, right. Yeah. The the moment you start to get in uh, to the flow or or getting that person almost in a hypnotic flow state yeah. through mirroring their body language and where they're holding their hands very subtly. And in yeah. fact, there's you can watch a lot of Dr. Phil doing this yeah. with his clients, especially uh, there was one in particular where he was meeting with a young girl um, who was uh, uh, being accused of 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 killing her, her child and how she was sitting. He mirrored, he mirrored mm -hmm. long enough that all of a sudden he started leading her then into yeah. the next phase. Now NLP has somewhat of a shadowy reputation. Yeah. There, there's a bad <laughs> rap uh, linked to it yes, there is, because yeah. a lot of seminar people, they sell their products using it. Yes. They, they get people to make very quick powerful emotional changes yes. up on stage in front of everybody. And that pulls the audience along. Now that's just very surface of NLP. Number one and number two, 
I'm, I'm wondering, is NLP kind of like the force? You can use it for good. You can use it for evil. And that's really no different than any yeah. therapeutic uh, modality. But yes. why does NLP get the bad rap? I don't think the bad rap is unreasonable because as you've quite rightly said, there are definitely people using it for shady reasons. Um, you know, I've even heard about it being used in cults and all sorts of Without uh, a doubt. terrible things. Right. Yeah. Um, so I don't think that the, uh, the bad publicity is um, unfounded. Uh, there's definitely something to that. From my perspective, I'm obviously using NLP from more of a therapeutic change perspective. And in the work that I do and that my team does, we, in a way as NLP for kids are trying to sort of separate ourselves from the overall umbrella of NLP and saying this is different because this is NLP for kids. And actually, we've got some pretty hefty standards around here that we make everybody adhere to. Sure, sure. So one of the things that makes NLP difficult to classify as a therapy or that kind of a modality is that it's also a very flexible intervention so where we might have a really good process for creating state change that maybe has five steps in it. And in these five steps, you do A, B, C and D, um, and maybe E as well. Um, in doing that, as an NLPer, you also come at it with a degree of flexibility. So then you start working with your client and you go, oh, A, B, C, D and E aren't going to work for this person. I'm going to do A, C and D. And it's still brought about a great result and they're happy. That's fantastic. But it makes it really difficult to then say this technique works globally. This works across the board because right. we're all doing it in a slightly different way. The other thing that NLP is traditionally terrible at is evaluating their work. Yeah. You know, because we tend to be make a difference people in ourselves. And so, you know, when someone has a good result, we're just happy they got the good result. Do we document it? Maybe, maybe not. So these are all things that from the NLP for kids perspective, uh, I'm working really hard with my team to make sure that we set different kinds of standards there. So if we've got interventions that we know work really well with children, and even if we've adapted them from traditional NLP to make them perhaps a bit more digestible for a young person uh, to work through, then we document exactly how we do that and we evaluate it after we've done it. Um, and so we're even moving into the world of uh, running studies around some of our interventions um, in alignment with university uh, studies so that we can say this was the effect of the work. This is how they were scoring on anxiety and depression before we did the work. This is where they were afterwards. So that at least the NLP that we do is cleaner and doesn't have that same shady reputation that NLP as a whole does. So there's interesting because a couple of things have come up based on what you last said. Number one, when we talked about the dark side of NLP and addressed it immediately, that is actually an NLP tool and that the damaging admission to, to come in and say, yeah. let's address the gorilla in the room. Let's align yeah. ourselves with the naysayers immediately and then guide yeah. them into an understanding of how we're utilizing it. Yeah. Now the NLP being 
uh, a very neutral thing. It is not inherently good, nor is it evil. It is a neutral thing. And it is always the practitioners. Every single time it is the practitioners and how they're using it. And as you said, and this is, this is what I I really like talking to you about this is that when we go to workshops, seminars, uh, Mm -hmm. conferences, where there's this motivational speaker, this facilitator of of Mm -hmm. human potential and growth, and they're very powerful and potent speakers that there's no follow through with them. And only 6% of people who go to these Tony Robbins or the, the, these, yeah. these big events and stuff. And I love Tony Robbins. I work for T. Harvecker. I love seminars, but I also know that only 6% of people come out of those and have the follow through. And it's that follow through that falls short because there is no, uh, like you say, there's no documentation, there's no forward movement. And it's, that is required in good therapy. The yes. other thing that I want you to address is that when we talk about this powerful emotional change that can be made in a moment yes. with NLP, um, that's not, Hey, my kid will never cut again. That's not, Hey, my kid will stop using drugs. Now that's not my kid will. That's a trait change that takes like 90 days of daily consistent work we're talking about the state the emotional state change yes yeah now what good is changing the emotional state with nlp if we're still not addressing the trait good question so the good thing about changing the state first is it gives you leverage it, it gets the ball moving in the right direction. Um, and we need that push. You know, we need something to push off of to get things going in the right direction to begin with. One of the things that I built into NLP for Kids, this is several years ago now. Um, I had a uh, another practitioner who works with children, but using a different modality who reached out to me. And she said, um, what do you do to make sure that the change sticks, you know, because you can do a great session in an hour. How do you make sure that sticks? And I said, well, I think one of the things that I do that's effective is I give them homework. You know, I give them stuff to do in between the sessions so that every day they are consistently keeping up with those changes that we've put into practice in the session with those state changes that we've carved out. We make sure that they're rehearsing those every single day in some way. She said, great, thanks very much. Put the phone down. Fast forward a few months later, she phones me again and she said, how do you make sure they do the tasking? <laughs> the homework. <What> is- <laughs> yeah. How do you make sure you do the homework? And I was like, good question. So I said, well, I always make sure that when I give them the homework, I write it down So as we're doing the session together, I'm actually writing out, okay, we've just done this. This is how we did it. This is how you're going to keep it up. This is how you practice it. So you know the steps. There's no point in me being a magician here. You have to know my tricks. So I'll write the steps out for them. And then I go back to the parent and I say, this is what we've just done. Your child is going to explain it to you on the way home. 
they're going to teach it to you because then when you make the child the authority of now they've got the tricks, they're teaching it to someone else. Now they're kind of learning it at a completely different level, you know, because they're teaching it. Um, And so I'm talking to this friend and I say, so, you know, I think that there's something in the fact that I write it down and deliver it to them in that way that makes it stick. And she went, huh, yeah, yeah, I can see that working. And I added, it's kind of like when you go to the doctor and they give you a prescription. So I don't know if that's the same term over in the States. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, same term. Okay. So I was like, you never go to the doctors and come out with a prescription and go, nah, I won't bother. Because in a way, it's a bit like it's a bit of a badge of honor. It's like I'm officially ill. (laughs) (laughs) I've got a certificate. (laughs) I have proof. I'm not crazy. I actually feel this thing. I was like, everybody does what it says on the prescription. You get the medicine and you do what the medicine says. So I was like, I think that's why me writing it down works for them. It's kind of like a prescription. So here in the UK, uh, back then, um, we had like paper prescriptions and they had a very specific look about them. Like one half of the page was green and that's where it says about your medicine. The other half of the page had text on it and it was like advice around collecting your medication. So I designed an NLP for kids prescription and on one half it was green and on the other half it had notes for the parent. Like, this is what we expect you to do in between the sessions. This is your responsibility. This is what your child's responsibility is. This is how you're holding your, each other accountable for following through with the advice that's written over leaf on the green side of the page. And it looked exactly like a prescription as well. Like I designed it specifically that way. And I remember the very first time I did a session and I got to the end of the session, I said, right, here's your tasking. Let me write it all out for you. Um, folded it in half, just like they do with a medical prescription. I went out to the uh, the parent and I said, right, here's the tasking. It says here what you need to do. It says here what he needs to do. Um, and she looked at it and she went, wow, look, oh yes, we'll do this. We will definitely do this. And it was amazing. You know, I don't know if it's like uh, the association. I don't know if it's placebo effect. It was definitely it really, an anchor. It's definitely an anchor. And so it just made those instructions land in a really different way. So going back to your question, you know, the key thing about turning states into traits is practice. It's about rehearsal. And so we need to know with any clients that we take on that they're going to be doing what they do in the sessions with us, but keeping that going in between time as well. I think the biggest mistake people make when they're doing therapeutic interventions, when they're doing motivational interventions, like Gemma is talking about the state change and the trait change, regardless of whether you're working on your state, your your emotional state on the day in, day out, or the trait change, that big thing that you want to shift in your life. What Gemma just said is the key is the practice. We call it the 99 in one. The military has studied ad nauseum that what you do in training, you will do on the battlefield. Martial arts has been teaching repetitive practice to the point where your muscles know what to do. You don't have to think about that. In fact, the samurai called that the mushin. 
The 99 and 1. What you practice is what you will do when your child, you hear a noise, you go into the other room, you see their foot bailing out the window, you know they're just sneaking out. What are you going to do in that moment? You will do what you practice when that wasn't happening. What you do 99% of the time is what you will do on that 1% of the time that you really need to do the right thing. That's why I created the Beyond Risk and Back Parenting app is because you go through these lessons at your speed. You have access to them at all times. I had a mom who called me up the other day. She says, my daughter and I got into a fight. She went to a room. I, st I turned on the Brab app and I just started listening. And it wasn't what you were saying in these things. It was that you got me back into that right part of my parenting brain. This is 56 classes, 56 sessions of everything I have taught parents in the last 20 years. And it is the same price as a week's worth of coffee because I want every parent to have it. All you have to do is go to brabapp.com. Whether or not you think this is a good idea, you can afford this. So you go to brabapp.com, B-R-A-B, for Beyond Risk and Back, B-R-A-B-A-P-P.com. Take the little quiz to find out if you need to start with the red, the yellow, or the green. The red are the really intense beyond risk. The yellow is the at-risk decisions that your kids are making. And the green is when your family's doing good, how do you make it great? How do you change a, a kid who's doing well into a world changer? And you get all three courses for that one week of coffee. Brabapp.com, high quality filming, everything I have ever loved teaching, and the things that you need to know to deal with your kid at any state. And you have access to it at all times. Brabapp.com. Let's get back to Gemma. So here we are now, and our parents are like, okay, I'm, I'm interested. I'm interested in this state change, especially because in these moments, we find ourselves in the same old, same old with our kids. This dance. My kid does this, and I do this, and they say this, and I like this, and they move here, and I slam the door. And we repeat it over and over. It's just conditioned behavior. It's automatic reacting Right. And you, you talk about how CBT and NLP builds that gap between the feeling and the action. Yep. So how does a parent utilize NLP? What is a trick? What is a what is a tool or a tactic to interrupt the yep. pattern that is going on? Regardless of what your kid does, the parent feels that trigger. The phone rings, the heart rate goes up. Right. These are all anchors. Yeah. My son and I were, were talking and the talk got intense and I got intense and he got intense. And all of a sudden I realized, holy crap, we are back to when he was a teenager and I was overparenting. Hmm. And I said, hey, I am realizing right now that I am, my nervous system is heightened and I'm starting to parent you like a teenager. And my son is not a teenager. Yeah. And that was, that was me recognizing my trigger. I had a gap and in the gap, I went, Oh, Aaron, your heart rates up. You're triggered. It's triggering him. His trigger is triggering you. And this is just a trigger, 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 trigger. And I said, uh, okay, I'm recognizing I'm triggered. And when this happens, we both get heightened and I'm sorry. And yeah. the moment I calmed down, he calmed down our conversation changed, and we were able to resolve very well. We, we always resolve. But how do you teach parents to create or find that gap using NLP? 
I think the first thing, which it looks like your podcast is completely geared up and designed to do, is you have to have the awareness that that even happens because a lot of people are just so conditioned to follow the same tracks that they've always followed. They don't even know that there's tracks there. They're just too busy doing the do. So we've got to have that awareness of, okay, this is what I do. This is what that causes them to do. Here's how I react to that. Here's how they react to my reaction. So we've got to do a little bit of observation of ourselves, stepping outside of ourselves. That in itself can be quite an interesting process. You ever thought like, what do I look like when I'm angry? Because maybe there's a trigger in there somewhere. Oh, I like that one. How do I look right now that I'm angry? I like that one. Yeah. Yeah, like imagine stepping outside and looking at yourself in that moment. Um, I think the other really important things are, I mean, fundamentally, you have to do something different. You're not going to change tracks unless you do something different. You can't rely on the other person to do something different for you. You are only in charge of yourself. Now, the good news is, is that when you change, others change also, just like you explained there with your son. You didn't make your son change, but because you changed, it put him into a situation where he couldn't react in the same way anymore. So when we change, you need to be uh, going into that plan, knowing that you might not get your desired result first time around. You know, so the first time you go, you know what, I'm not going to blow up. I'm going to go silent. You might think, yeah, there's going to be power in that. Turns out that made things a whole lot worse. That was not the right change. (laughs) But you've got something different happening, which tells you that change is possible. So you need to have an attitude of wanton experimentation. You know, you need to know I may not get this right first time and that's okay. I'm giving myself permission to experiment and notice what happens and then do something else if that didn't lead me to my desired result, if that didn't take me to where I wanted to go with it. I think a really underrated but super important thing to do is to rehearse in your mind the outcome that you want to get to. So we know that when we think about the future in in our imagination, in our minds, Doing so causes our brain to get in contact with the parts of our body that we would use if we were actually doing that thing in real life, even though we're only using our imagination in that moment. And it causes us to release those emotions and those chemical reactions in our body that we would feel if we were to actually do that thing in real life. I love this, but I, I want to I wanna interrupt with a question there because yeah, it, with the it. moment you're, you're looking at the outcome and saying, this is the outcome I want, your body starts to yeah. line up with that. That is sold to us as positive thinking, as positive sure. affirmations. Now, now you've yeah, said yeah, yeah. you said that there's you've got a little bit of disparaging yeah, yeah. remarks towards positive <laughs> thinking. So explain yeah. that. Yeah. So for me, positive thinking is telling yourself everything is absolutely all right when it's not having an expectation that everything's going to be perfect when let's face it, life sucks sometimes. So <laughs> it probably won't be. It's about being realistic. You know, we want to work in the real world here. Yeah. So you can't just see, oh, it's all going to be lovely and sunny and everything's going to go my way. When I talk to you about visualizing the outcomes that you want, I'm also going to suggest with that, that you throw yourself in some contingency plans. 
So a contingency plan is when you imagine your ideal outcome, but guess what? Life just showed up. There's a curveball coming your way and somebody doesn't react in the way that you'd hoped. And those feelings of tension, stress, anger, anxiety, whatever it might be, start spiking in your nervous system and in your brain, you go, "Uh oh, here we go. But because this is just a visualization that you're running, you think about how you're going to handle that differently to how you've handled it before. So you're going to deliberately think about what might go wrong, but also see yourself recovering from it and also bring yourself back onto the right track because then you are also rehearsing how to correct things when they go bad and not just having an expectation of a positive outcome. One of the things when people say, uh, I'm an NLP practitioner, I'm an NLP practitioner, the word that suddenly stands out to me is practitioner. You're again, we're back to practicing. We're, we're back to creating a practice of imagining ourselves moving through it, uh, having confidence in how we're going to move through it, but to practice NLP in a live for lack of a better term, a firefight with your own child, right? This yeah. power struggle that is just simply square dancing and and back at you. <laughs> I don't know if you have square dancing there, but it's a very yeah, yeah, I know, I know, repetitive, yeah. you know, Western <laughs> style of dancing. But somebody has to step out of the dance and to yeah. expect it to be a child who's in crisis, a child who's using drugs, a child. Yeah, good luck with that. Good luck with that. <laughs> Now, on the other side, the parent who hasn't slept, isn't eating correctly, is yeah. their, their, their relationships are falling apart because they're not able to tend to them, et cetera, et cetera. We still have to look at these adults and say, no, this, this one's on you. And that yeah. sucks yeah. when you thought you were doing it yeah. right. And now your kid's blown sideways. So there's a practice and there's a yeah. consciousness that must be. And I love what you said. Imagine how you look in that moment. And suddenly yeah. you're in your prefrontal cortex. You are not in your reactive brain. Yes. Can you share with us a statement that a parent could practice using that they could use in the middle of their square dance mm-hmm. to end the, end the dancing? Is there, is there a certain phrase that is a command yeah. state change? I'll give you this. And there's two parts to this and I'll explain both of them. Manage your state you need to be business-like. So here's the two things there. Managing your state is keeping a lid on it, keeping a lid on those emotions. You know that they're there, but you also know that now is not the right time to express them. I talk to a lot of parents about being business-like, and here's what I mean by that. There are certain things that I would say to my close friends, to my family, if they were annoying me, but I would never, ever say them to my staff at work because at work, I have to be businesslike. At work, I've got to keep a lid on my emotions when they are doing my head in. Um, I have got (laughs) to, (laughs) I've got to be the voice of reason when they are bickering with each other. Um, And I've got to tell them that their shockingly bad ideas were a really good effort. (laughs) (laughs) You know, all of those sorts of things. I have to be diplomatic and I would never not be because I guess for one thing, it would get me into quite a lot of trouble. You know, I could uh, I could get my own butt kicked for that. Um, But also 
I just have a different persona when I'm there. You know, I just do. I'm businesslike. And there have been times in my interactions outside of work where I've realized that my emotions are blowing up and I tell myself, you need to be businesslike in this moment. Because what that does is it extracts the emotions out of it. And it means that that firefight that might otherwise develop can't happen because I'm not adding any fuel in. I'm being businesslike about it. So that would be, I think, a really good statement for people to use. Think about, you know, maybe it's not business for you, but there is a dynamic that you have in your life with someone where you know that you need to like behave yourself, where you know that you need to be the sensible one where and it might be a friendship it might be with a parent or a grandparent that you really respected where you would know you know there's a there's a line that you don't overstep so who is it that you've got that line with that you never overstep where you're always respectful even if they're rude to you for me it's in my business and so I tell myself I need to be business like in that moment and so maybe something like that would work for your parents too do you generally believe the outcome will shift just based on the parent's nervous system? In the scenario I gave, and, and you brought this up, which was, which was phenomenal, and the scenario that I gave about my son, the thing is, is yes. that that's my kid, and yeah. it's easy to be triggered. I would love to be able to say it's easy to be at my best with my own child, but yes. I'm not because my relationship with him is so close, forced for the trees, et cetera, et cetera. And I have such a, a tie-in of, of love and wanting him to be successful and wanting him to be happy and wanting him to do all the right things. And here's my opinion of the right things. Yeah. When over here, I had a scenario where, where a kid's walking out of the dining room, fists are, are balled up. He's hunched over. He's angry. He's screaming curse words. I intercept him and I mimic his body language. So here's a full grown adult. And I'm standing there looking like Wolverine, except he has <laughs> much more hair than I do. And this kid, and he's like, get out of my way, Huey. And I'm like, I'm not getting out of your way. We're doing this right now. And as we're yelling back and forth, I relax my shoulders, I unball yes. my fists, I put my hands out outwards, and he starts to put his hands up, and he's just like, I'm just really upset. Next thing you know, he's crying. We got yeah. our arms on our shoulders, we sit down on the couch, we start talking about what's going through. That was easy, because yeah. I wasn't triggered. Yeah. How does a parent disassociate themselves from their own trauma trigger with their kids. Like that's a deep ask. It is a deep ask. Sort your trauma out. You know, yeah. here's the thing. I teach NLP for parents and I preface that course every single time with saying there's going to come a moment on this training when you realize this isn't about your parenting. This was about how you were parented. So we have to sometimes look back on where our styles came from. You know, where did you pick those traits up from? There's a really good uh, metaphor that I think summarizes this perfectly. And there's various versions of this story, but I'll tell you the one that I heard. So there's uh, a young lady recently married 
And she decides that she's going to make a Sunday dinner for her new husband and that they're going to make, uh, there's going to be pork. She's going to do a roast pork for dinner. And as she's preparing the pork, her husband comes over and he says, why did you cut the end off of the pork? And she said, well, that's what you do when you're, when you're roasting pork, you always have to cut the end off before you put it in the oven. And he said, really? That's a thing? Like, where did you get that from? She said, it's just the way my mum taught me. So she calls up her mum and she says, hey, mum, I'm just making a roast dinner and I'm, I've just gone to put the pork in the oven, cut the end off before I put it in. And Dan here has said to me, um, why did you cut the end off the pork? And mum goes, well, that's what you do when you cook pork. You always have to cut the end off. So uh, the daughter goes, yeah, but why? And the mum goes, well, that's the way grandma taught me, right? So she goes, well, maybe let's speak to grandma. So they call up grandma. Hey, grandma, you know when you make a roast dinner and you make pork, you always cut the end of the pork before you put the pork in the oven, right? And grandma goes, oh, yes. Every time you always have to cut the, the end of the pork before you put it in the oven. They go, okay, cool. But why? And grandma goes, because the pork is too big for my dish. <laughs> <laughs> you know, sometimes we're just doing the things that other people did but there isn't a reason for us to do it that way anymore. Some of our models are old and irrelevant. And some of our reactions are the reactions that our parents had for a completely different context that doesn't apply to us anymore. So if you have trauma, deal with your trauma and you will be a better parent for that. Gemma, how do parents start working with you, especially long distance? What type of, what type of things do you have for our listeners that can, that can show up and just get your NLP tools? Sure. So, um, freebie stuff. We have a YouTube channel, which is uh, youtube.com forward slash NLP for kids. And it's numerical for, there is a series of videos on there, which is specifically for parents and professionals. There is a series on there, which is specifically for your kids. So if you've, you know, your children have got some challenges, you can put them onto uh, that video series. We have a membership program for parents and professionals. Um, it's, uh, one UK pound. Uh, for 30 days. And then after that, it's a monthly subscription. Cancel at any time. It's $5.99. You can join us for live webinars on that one. You can catch up on videos around particular subject areas that might be of interest to you. There's reading materials in there, all sorts of stuff. We have a great blog. There's wonderful articles on there if you're a reader. Um, and we do offer coaching, obviously, as well. And because of COVID, we've got well savvy at using Zoom for doing that now. So if anyone actually wanted specific live support for themselves, then you can reach out to us via peoplebuilding. Uh, sorry, nlp4kids.org is the website to go to. Um, and you can find out more there about the various different practitioners we have here um, and arrange a free consultation with any of them. Final question is that NLP is often seen as this, um, you know, some, some will say derelict, some will say maverick, but it is a psychological modality that gets shoved aside from the mainstream yes. psychology world. But the truth of the matter is, and you and I both know this, is that regular psychology uses every NLP tactic there is. <laughs> Yeah, and and it's true. just, they just have it disseminated and spread out through, yes. oh, this, this little piece is over here in Gestalt and this is in CBT, yeah. but it is there. 
Yeah. When is mainstream psychology going to accept NLP or any alternative therapy as yeah. a as a credible method? I'm working on it. <laughs> so a few years back, we did a pilot study into the effectiveness of a program that we deliver to children. It's a 10-week program for overcoming anxiety. And we measured their anxiety and depression levels before and after the program. And the improvements, particularly towards anxiety, was huge. So spurred on from that, I'm actually starting a brand new study in association with the university um, where we are looking at, um, again, the effectiveness of our program on anxiety for young people. Um, it is a video series this time around. So it's being delivered in a different format. And I'm hoping that that means we get a much wider reach. We are going to have a control group involved in there as well. So we will come out with some very clear data around the effectiveness that these interventions do for children and young people. Um, and my hope is that as a result of being able to present those um, data, showing the effectiveness and showing that what we're doing is really making a significant difference that we will in the future um, maybe be able to get this a little bit more mainstream. While Gemma was talking, I went to NLP for Kids. And remember, that's the number four on YouTube. YouTube.com forward slash NLP, the number four kids. And then I also went to another page she's got there on YouTube, uh, People Building, all put together in one word. I think she's got about 20 billion videos that, I'm, that I can count so far. It's incredible. And these are good and short for people with ADHD and low attention spans like me. And these are very quickly exactly what we're talking about when you find that moment of that you can interrupt yourself if you only have a minute you got the call you've got a you got to head to school you have a minute before you leave the house i'm looking at a video that's one minute long called children who reject their parents you can take that minute and just go get programmed by Gemma. i want to thank your cause consulting for making sure that this show is getting in front of all the parents who actually need this show parents please share this with other parents who need it all we're trying to do is help i want to thank deepen productions for the music and for the sound production of this show parents you have to take care of yourselves first your adult relationships second and your children third because that's how you're going to do your best work with your children Go visit Jamma on People Building on YouTube or NLP for Kids on YouTube. Big thanks to Jemma for all her work and support. We need people like her here in the U.S. Parents, I'll see you next week. <laughs>